Good morning, church. How are y'all doing today? Good deal. Uh, before we get started into the sermon, uh, just a quick thing that I've covered in the circuit rider a couple times now, but just to make sure that you're aware of it, um, there is what is called our general conference. It's meeting today, this morning, uh, through Tuesday of this week. Um, and the general conference is our official body as a denomination that is able to uh, determine the direction of our ch congregation, our churches, and also uh, they are the ones that are allowed to make any official statements uh, on behalf of the United Methodist Church. They're the only ones that can do that. And this week, uh, they are going to be putting together some plans and some ideas as to how we move forward as a denomination in regards to human sexuality, specifically human homosexuality, same-sex marriage, um, and it is an issue that has um, been debated throughout the history of our denomination, at least over the last 40 years, and um, we have gotten to a place of impasse where we're not able to just continue to um, kind of peacefully or unpeacefully coexist, but rather that they really wanted us to get to a place of decision. And so that is what this conference is about. That's what's going on. And um, I want to lift it up to you for a couple of reasons. First, uh, there is inevitably uh, press coverage. There's already been articles in the Wall Street Journal and uh, various other sources about what's going on this week in the Methodist Church. Um, and there's always bias. There's always spin. There's always people that will say one thing in regards to what happens that may not necessarily be true. Um, and so be aware of that. And then the other thing is that if um, the decisions come down or that they make a resolution about how we're going to move forward that you don't agree with or that you don't understand, uh, then I invite you to make sure that you come and talk with me first uh, so that I can help you better understand. Or you can talk with Pastor Wade or any number of our church leaders, and they'll be happy to have that conversation with you. I just don't want you to read an article that portrays what happens this week in one way and make a decision about what you're going to do next um, based on that rather than coming and talking with one of the leadership in the church. So um, that is what I just needed to tell you today. And if you have any questions about that, I'm always open. My door is always open. I'm always happy to talk with you about whatever's going on. And, um, but that is, let's just call that sermon number one, right? And uh, the second one is a continuation of a series that I've been doing on um, difficult topics, and I, obviously general conference stuff could fit into this series, but um, we have talked about um, how many times people say, I can't be a Christian because, you know, they'll say that I would love to believe in Jesus Christ, but uh, there's also this competing idea that I just can't get resolved in my mind. And we've talked about how could Christianity be true if there's other religions. Uh, last week we talked about how is Christianity, could it be true if there's human suffering? Could I really believe it if, you know, God allows things to happen in our world that are so tragic? And uh, today we're talking about uh, another difficult one, and that is the question of could I be Christian or why would I become a Christian when there are so many restrictions? And oftentimes when Christianity is caricatured, you know, we're often caricatured or portrayed as people that, you know, have so many restrictions or so many things that we don't do or that we don't think are right. You know, we don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't go with girls that do, right? And 
kind of look at us as, you know, people that are just negative. We're always just saying that that shouldn't be done or that shouldn't happen. And uh, they look at Christianity and they say, well, you know, I just, I can't get on board with that because I think it would cost me too much or that would mean too much of a change for my own life. And the result of that is either people reject Christianity outright, they say to themselves, I just couldn't do that, therefore I don't want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, or they hold that in the back of their head and the result is kind of a half-hearted effort, you know, kind of a lukewarm uh, following of Jesus Christ, you know. Either of those two things will happen when people say, well, that's just asking too much of me, or I can't believe in that, or that's outdated, or that's, you know, just too much, right? And um, the result of that, you know, like I said, is that they'll just outright say, no, if, if that's what it means, if I have to give that up or I have to do that, then there's no way I could be the follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, or they say, you know, I'll just kind of live a compromised life. I, I think Jesus is nice. I think he's good. But saying that he's Lord and that that would have consequences on my life is just too much, um, that they kind of have a half-hearted belief in him. And what I mean by that is that if you look at, you know, the things that, that God offers, just for an example, maybe the, the Ten Commandments, there's some of the commandments that no matter what culture or time or day and age that, you know, we would all agree upon and say, these are wrong. Things like, thou shall not murder, uh, thou shall not commit adultery, thou shall not bear false witness. Um, those are all things that we would agree upon. But there's some others in the Ten Commandments that people would say, well, what's the big deal? What's the big worry? And why, why are we getting so upset about that? You know, like the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Thou shalt not create an idol. You shall obey the Sabbath. I mean, people would say, How, what's the big deal? Why does God want us to take a day off? Right? If I want to take my day off, I take my day off. If I don't, why does God get so upset about me not obeying the Sabbath? What's the big problem? And uh, on down the line, you could look at that, the Ten Commandments, or you could look at some of Jesus' commandments, and people would say, that's just asking too much. That is way too restrictive upon my life. If you really expect me to show up at work and turn the other cheek when my employee does me wrong, my, my friend or my coworker or my employee does me wrong, you are asking too much of me. Uh, or if you talk about in terms of your family, you know, you, you know, maybe you've got like a cousin that has asked you to go the extra mile way too many times, right? Uh, or, you know, on and down the list, you could say, ah, that just asked too much. You've asked to require too much of me. And therefore, either A, I'm going to kind of have a lukewarm discipleship, or B, uh, I can't abide with what Jesus is asking me, you know? One of those two things. And so, uh, part of this is that we look at it, we say, well, I'll obey the ones that I think are important, Right? And probably the best example I can give you this is um, I had some great-grandparents who were, grew up, you know, I grew up around them going to visit their house on the summers, and they were Nazarene. My grandfather said that meant they were good old-fashioned Methodist, as opposed to these newfangled United Methodists, right? And uh, we would, I would go visit with them, and I remember one Sunday after church, I said, hey, why don't we do something fun like my, my dad and I do sometimes. We'll, we'll go to the movies in that Sunday afternoon. And you're not going to think it's a big deal, but my grandfather looked at me and he said, he kind of gave me a look like, we don't do that. It would have been a similar look like, we don't burn our own house down. You know, it was that serious. You know, he was that, that serious about not going to the movies. 
And apparently at that time in the Nazarene church, I don't know what their stance on it is now, but at that time they, they thought movie theaters were, you know, dark and mysterious places that bad things happened in. There was even, my, my mom went to a Nazarene college and the president and his girlfriend got kicked out of the school for going to see the movie Fantasia in a theater, right? And um, I don't know where they are on that now, right, the Nazarene church, but, but many, you know, as a United Methodist growing up as a kid, I was like, I have no clue why that's a problem, you know? And I think many of us, when we think about God commanding us or God, Christ leading us, we kind of look at that and we go, well, what's the big deal? Why, why would we get upset about that, right? Um, and then the other part of this particular issue is just the, the question of freedom, you know, we're, we're Americans, we love our freedom, we love our belief in freedom. Uh, we think that it's a great country because it allows us to do whatever we want, achieve whatever we want, have the dreams that we want. And when you kind of just give a, a basic question to people about what does freedom look like, if they don't pause and think about it, usually the first words that come out of their mouth are something similar to that. It's something like, I'm able to do what I want, when I want, however I want, with whoever I want, and nobody can tell me otherwise, right? And that's basically kind of the understanding that we have at a, a basic level as, as Americans, you know, that nobody stands in the way of us pursuing our pursuit of happiness, you know? That's, that's what freedom means. And that there are, we have our basic understandings of um, that's what it would look like, but it's so simple. You know, it just, as you grow older, it doesn't work, right? I mean, the easiest or the first example we get is when we were teenagers and we tell ourselves, you know, what would give us more freedom than, than having a car, right? And we're in high school and uh, we think to ourselves, we're going we're gonna to need money for a car, we're going to get a car, and uh, then we'll have true freedom. We'll be able to go and do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, we'll have a car, we'll be able to do that. And so we save up our money, and then the first thing that happens is we recognize that we're going to have to have a job. And that the time that I thought I was going to have to go do whatever I want, whenever I want, is dedicated to flipping hamburgers, right? Or whatever your, your first job is. And that's, that's what your freedom looks like. You get to drive from your house to your job <laughs> or drive to your house to your school. And those are your two options, basically, because every other free time that you have is now devoted to paying for your vehicle, right? And so that idea of being able to do all those things whenever we want, it shows that you end up with competing problems or competing values, competing directions in your life. Another easy example is just, you know, when you realize that you can either have the freedom to wear clothes that fit you or freedom to eat Bluebell all the time, right? You can't have both. You have to, to pick one, right? I'm sorry, am I, I'm meddling at this point? Okay. All right. Well... And I think over and over again, when we talk about sacrificing freedom, it's usually one of those things, one of those ideas, or we may have some ideas that we're, we're going to miss out. You know, if, we, if we follow one of Jesus' commandments, then we're going to miss out on something that we think might be important. There might be some luxury, some expense, some opportunity that we think we're going to miss out on if we follow Jesus' lead. Uh, it may be a, another matter of if we were to, to follow Christ, then that would also make us accountable. You know, if we say that we're a Christian, that we're a follower of Jesus, then our coworkers, our family are going to expect something else of us than they did before. And so there's that fear of accountability as well. 
And then there's just the, you know, the possibility we might think to ourselves, well, you know, what if I do? What if I devote my entire life to Christ, I follow him, and then something tragic happens? Would it all be worth it? And I would have given up the freedom that I had. You know, all those things run through our mind. And so what I want to share with you today is a, a passage from John's Gospel where Jesus talks about exactly this, but in a way that, that you and I usually don't think of it. And it's found in John's Gospel, chapter 8. And Jesus is having a conversation. He's teaching uh, some of the religious leaders of his day, uh, Jewish Sadducees and Pharisees, and he's talking with them uh, about their lives, and they don't like it. So he says, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so he's saying that he's having a conversation, and the wording that's there is those who believed in him. You know, they, they thought he was doing some good things, and they liked what he was doing. They liked Jesus. And then Jesus takes it to the next step, and he says, but you're only my disciples if you obey my teachings. I mean, that, that seems pretty obvious, right? If you have a teacher, and you follow through on what you're doing, on what he's teaching you, then you're growing, you're learning, you're, you're a disciple. Uh, if you're not, then you're headed in a different direction. He says, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so what Jesus is saying is that if you do things my way, if you follow my commands, the result is you'll gain truth, you'll gain wisdom, you'll gain knowledge, you'll gain insight, and that that is going to free you. And um, he's pointing it out, and he's saying, you'll, if you'll just come along, if you'll listen to what I'm doing, if you'll teach, follow my teachings, the result will be that you will find freedom like you never knew possible. You may think you knew freedom, you might think you uh, had it before, but if you follow me, you'll have it in a whole new way. The teachers of the law don't like his answers, right? They say, they responded, we are Abraham's children, we've never been anyone's slaves, how can you say that we will be set free? It was a basic question, you know. Uh, we don't think of ourselves as slaves. We don't think of ourselves as servants. There's not a person out there that usually thinks of themselves in that way. And they even go back and they say, you know, we're Abraham's descendants. We're, we're promised to have freedom. We're not, you know, we're not on the authority of anyone else. We do what we want to. Um, and he goes on. Uh, but, so why do you say that we would have to be set free? And Jesus explains, I assure you that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Okay, that's key. He says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave isn't a permanent member of the household, but a son is. Therefore, the son makes you free. You really will be free. I know that you are Abraham's children, yet you want to kill me because you don't welcome my teachings. I am telling you what I've, been, what I've seen when I am with the Father, but you are doing what you have heard from your Father. And so Jesus points it out. He says, even if, even if, we're not under the rule and the authority of a power, you know, even if there's not an occupying force or an army that's keeping us from being free. He's saying that true freedom comes from not being slaves or servants to sin. He's saying that that is the case of these particular people. And he goes on to say it, you know, if you, if you weren't, if you weren't under the power and the, the authority of sin, then you would obey my teachings. You would think that they were good. You would understand how good they are, but you don't. Uh, but he goes on to say, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you are really will be free. And, you know, um, just to pause here for a moment and dwell on that matter for a moment, a lot of times people will kind of push back on this, and I'll just quote the Bob Dylan song. 
you got to serve somebody. You know, and he points it out in his song. You may not know it. It's been redone thousands of times. But he points it out. You may be a mayor, a governor, an authority, a surgeon, a doctor, or anything like that. You will serve somebody in your lifetime. You are a servant of someone in one way or the other. And Jesus points it out. He says, but true imprisonment, true problems, all starts with serving sin. Uh, they replied, our father is Abraham. Jesus responded, if you were Abraham's children, you would do Abraham's work. Instead, you want to kill me. Though I am the one who has spoken the truth, I heard from God. Abraham didn't do this. You are doing your father's works. They said, our ancestry isn't in question. The only father we have is God. Jesus replied, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God. Here I am. I haven't come on my own. God sent me. Why don't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't really hear my words. So when we look through this passage, we see that Jesus is driving at something that's essential to us as a Christian people and essential to us in life. And he's pointing out, he's saying that if we want true freedom, then part of that is that we accept the restrictions of our life in one way or the other. If we want to have the freedom to wear clothes that fit us, we have to give up some bluebell, right? And um, I know I'm not going to get you all to preach or witness to that one, right? Uh, but if we want our life to go in a particular direction, then we, we have to accept some restrictions. A, a great analogy is that if you were to take a fish out of a stream or a river and you were to place it upon the grass, you could say, I set it free. I know this is silly, but follow along with me, right? You take the fish out, you put it on the, the river, on the side of the bank, and you say, it's now free. It's no longer restricted by water. It can go and do things it's never done before, right? It can flop around. It can gasp for air, all right? It's got new freedoms that it never had possible because it was in the river, right? And that what Jesus is pointing out and what he's saying is that, yes, we can go beyond the bounds of what we were made for or what we were created for or what God desires for us, and we can call that freedom. But he's saying that life, true life, happens within the boundaries that God has presented to us and placed before us, right? That the grass might be greener, but if we're fish, better to stay in the water. The other way that you can look at this uh, is when he talks about, you know, if you would if you were sons of God, if you were daughters of God, then you wouldn't struggle about obeying God. Now, I had a real failure in my first sermon today. I said, does anybody watch Downton Abbey? And that group kind of looked at me like, no, Rick, we've never watched TV, ever. Uh, and then after the service, they came up to me and said, we watch it. I don't know what's in the show that they're concerned about being named for, but it's, a, it's basically a PBS show, which a bunch of British people with accents, and it's all about this great big house, this great big manor, and within the household, Downton Abbey, there are people that are family, right, and they own the home, and then along with that, there are servants. This is not a difficult concept, so if you've never seen the show, you can follow along, okay? And uh, if you hate Downton Abbey, you don't need to tell me that afterwards, okay? Uh, but there's the people that are family, and there's their servants. And throughout the entire show, the servants live in the house. They eat some of the food that's in the house. They enjoy the manor. Uh, they get to do those things. But they will never be, what? Never be family. They'll always be servants. 
And the basis of them being within the household is that they do their job well and that they show up for work and that they please their masters, right? And that um, no matter how good things are between them and the Lord, you know, the, the owner of the household, even if they're good buddies, it's all based on whether or not they're doing their job and following the orders of the master. And Jesus says, this is not what God desires for you and I. He says that what God desires for you and I is that we would know that we are sons and daughters of the Lord Most High, that we belong to the household of faith, that God will never forsake or abandon us, that he loves us far greater than we could ever imagine, that instead of us being a people that are constantly trying to prove and earn our worth, we are invited to understand that God loves us so completely and so graciously and so mercifully that we are never going to be left out in the cold but that we're always going to be a part of God's family. And what Jesus is pointing out, he says, once we get that, once we understand how great the Father's love for us is, how it has been poured out for us, lavished upon us, that we would be named children of God, then following his commandments will seem like the least of our problems. That if we are fully understanding how greatly God loves us, then following his commandments is going to be the least of our problems. Now, you all know the realities of, of being younger. If there's times where if your parents told you to do something and you did the exact opposite. It's only later in life that you look back and you go, you know, they're really trying to, to help me. And over and over again, when we read those commandments, when we, we see what Jesus is inviting to, we understand more and more that he is doing his utmost to help our lives be changed and shaped for the better. Every once in a while, you'll have somebody who will say something to the effect of, why is it that I would have to change my entire life around to be a Christian and God doesn't really have to do anything? God's sovereign, God's omnipotent, God's all-powerful, and God really doesn't have to change anything. And yet we are expected to, to give up so much or to change so much. And what I just want to invite you to remember is that if you read passages like Philippians chapter 2, it says that God who had everything, had all power, all authority, all might, comes into our world, takes on the restrictions of our flesh, is obedient to God even to the point of dying upon the cross, who gave up everything for us and our salvation, that he was willing to do that. He gave up all of that so that we might know how greatly God loves each of us. So I hope you'll give some thought and some prayer to what it is that Christ has invited you to do, the discipleship that he has called you to, and remember his steadfast love when you are uncertain about what it is that he might call you to do. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this beautiful word that we find in your Bible about your great love for us, how you've invited us to all be sons and daughters of the Lord Most High, no longer servants, no longer slaves, but instead, Lord, free, free to serve you, free to love you, free to enjoy all that you can give us. We pray and ask that you would fill our hearts with that love, let it cast aside all of our fears and doubts and worries, and instead, Lord, just to stand in you.